Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Timonini. On today's episode, I am in conversation with two of the stars of Lincoln Center's current Broadway revival of Camelot. I am talking with Marilee Talkington, who plays Morgan Le Fay, and Anthony Michael Lopez, who plays Sir Dinadan. Not only are both Marilee and Anthony incredible performers, but they are unique from the rest of their incredibly talented cast members in one way. They are both disabled in different ways. Marilee is a legally blind actress, and Anthony has a prosthetic leg. As you may or may not know, July is Disability Pride Month, and as Camelot gets ready to end its Broadway run on Sunday, I was really, really excited to have the opportunity to talk to both of them about Disability Pride Month, about their experiences as disabled artists working in the theater, and of course, this incredible, glorious run of Camelot at Lincoln Center. As we always do, we will have a link in the show notes on where you can purchase tickets to see Camelot between now and Sunday, so please make sure you do that if you haven't had an opportunity to see it. All right, with all of that out of the way, here is my conversation with Marilee Talkington and Anthony Michael Lopez. Well, thank you both uh, for joining me on what is, uh, I'm sure, a very busy and very uh, emotional week. Marilee, you told me uh, before we got started, you are kind of dealing with the emotions of Camelot closing in a creative way, kind of turning some of your backstage time into creative time as well. Yeah, I'm, you know, like everybody else, I'm super sad that it's closing. Um, But the way that I'm dealing with my feelings is by memorializing it and just taking a truck ton of behind the scenes footage um, through Act One and part of Act Two and going to edit it all together and have something for the cast afterwards. So that's what that's how I'm dealing with my broken heart. That's incredible. And I, I'm sure that everyone in the cast is going to love that. This is both of your Broadway debuts. Anthony, what has this process been like for you kind of going through not only the whole show, but this season and and the entire process leading up to the final performance on Sunday? I'm Well, OK, I'm exhausted, um, <laughs> but I'm incredibly grateful and i'm just i've been pitching myself i've been doing i've been doing i've been with this show since the first since my first workshop you know in november 2021 and i've sort of haven't stopped pinching myself um the whole time like broadway is such a the thing that is really overwhelming to me is the the community Mm. everyone involved in a broadway show like has each other's backs like Mm. no matter what show you're working on even if you, you've never met the person, like people are very supportive. Um, and I love that. You just don't get that in many other aspects of this industry. One of the things that so many people in the theater community talk about is representation. And we are talking here uh, in the middle of Disability Pride Month. And for both of you, you come to this show not only as your Broadway debuts, but as people who have different disabilities. And I think despite the fact that we talk about racial representation, there's a big conversation about uh, about Jewish representation. Disability representation is probably, I don't want to, maybe you two can speak on this a little bit more intelligently than I can, but probably the, the thing that gets overlooked the most. And to have a big Broadway musical from such a renowned theater company like Lincoln Center, to make that a priority in casting seems pretty rare and, and pretty exciting, at least for me as an outsider, Marilee. Yeah, I you know, it's interesting because I'm not sure if they made it a priority, but I think what casting did, Telsey, is their commitment is just excellence across the board. And that comes from every single, you know, every single kind of human experience. And I think one of the reasons that disability representation 
one of the many reasons disability representation is still um, the last thing to be brought to the table is that disability is not a monolith. There's so many different kinds of disabilities. So, you know, there's a, a very strong deaf community that's together, a very strong blind community that's together, but getting us all together is kind of a hard thing. So, um, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a larger conversation about the worthiness of disabled people in our culture, but I also think it's just such a huge part of the American population, one in four, that it can be a little overwhelming. I don't know. What do you think about that, Tony? Yeah, I mean, I think there's also plenty of bias, too. You know, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of, uh, there is this assumption that we can't do things, um, that we can't be on stage, or that it, that I, I think there is this also sort of implicit um, presumption that having a disabled person in your show will make it, like, less appealing or will sort of stick out in this, mm -hmm. like, disruptive, distracting kind of way. And it's just, you know, it's all just a result of like capitalist driven ableism. Mm. I think that's a huge part of it too. Everything you just said though, as well. And it's interesting to me that this show, which is, has been one of my favorite shows since I was, I don't know, 12 or 13 when I saw a touring production with Robert Goulet as, as King Arthur in it uh, many, many decades ago. But at the heart of the Arthurian legend is about bringing everyone to the table as equals. And again, while that might not have been necessarily the thought behind the production, like Marilee said, in, but it was something more that was really driven by uh, by Telsey and Company's focus on bringing the best people to the table. I, maybe I'm stretching a little bit, but it sure feels like there's a little bit of a connection between that idea and the round table. And whether or not that was done on purpose, that to me at least brings a little bit more truth and impact to the story itself by bringing all kinds of different people to the stage. Mm -hmm. You know, Tony, this is actually, I'm going to go off of your question and ask Tony a question because you've been in it since the beginning, Tony, like what was the casting was this reflected in casting from the very first workshop? Absolutely. Yeah. Every single workshop um, has had, you know, performers of like all different marginalized communities. I think this was definitely like a conscious um, outreach to include as many different types of people as possible and like make that stage totally representative of like what this city and, and world uh, look like. Mm. And I feel it. I'm, I'll just jump in real quick. Yeah, I please. feel it. I do feel it in the cast. Um, I feel like the representation of marginalized groups in this cast is pretty extraordinary. We have four gender fluid folks, um, different sexuality, different races, different ethnicities, um, disability. <sighs> it's full. It's not everything, but it's moving in the right direction. And as, as I mentioned earlier, this is Disability Pride Month, and I'm sure that means different things for a lot of different people. But having gone through this experience with this show, what do you think those next steps are? Uh, like you kind of mentioned, you can't necessarily represent everybody in every cast just because of like the sheer mm -hmm. amounts of differences that everybody has across the country, and even in New York City. But as we kind of take steps forward, whether it's with disabilities or all of the other different marginalized communities that you mentioned, is this a piece of forward moving progress or is this an outlier? Oh gosh. You know, I can just tell you what my hope is. 
And my, my hope is that it's not an outlier. Um, I do think that casting companies um, like Telsey, you know, if you look at who works there, I think that um, helps us see where we're going. You know, if you have people in marginalized groups working at the casting companies, um, that's going to help everybody in general because they're going to they're going to start calling in the people that don't that they themselves don't see represented. They don't see themselves represented, so they're going to be calling folks in that are going to help. You know, so they can. So, um, I'm sort of stumbling over my words. So brings them visibility. So my hope is that this isn't a temple. This is actually the way things are moving. Um, disability in general, though, still we need more folks working in the casting companies, working in production, directing, writing, and it's slowly moving. I wish it was moving faster. I'm always wishing it's moving faster. Um, yeah, that, no, that was going to be that was going to be my my answer too. We need as many people um, behind the scenes, behind the camera, um, as we have like on stage and in front of the camera. Um, that's a vital part of this, and also like in administration, people who you know are are sort of not near the creative process. Like we need we need just across the board more representation of people with disabilities, and also I would say people with disabilities because of how we've had to navigate this sort of like ableist world that's not uh, built for us at all. We're incredible problem solvers, and we are very mm -hmm. passionate about the things that we do. Mm -hmm. um, so we are sort of prime candidates for these things. And, you know, I think it starts earlier than that, too. It's like uh, conservatories, training programs yes. need to be reaching out to uh, performers with disabilities who are young, who are trying to get an education, um, but who are sort of denied that opportunity for training. Yeah, it's interesting you kind of talk about the 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 things that have to be done to bring disabled people into companies and into theater. When you talk about Lincoln Center and this experience here, have they had to make certain accommodations to make things uh, a little easier for either of you, or has it just kind of been, you know, everybody is is on board and and go together? I mean, whether that's a physical change in the stage or or anything along those lines that they've been able to to do to make things a little bit easier for you throughout this process, whether it's rehearsals or performances or anything else. The biggest thing for me was uh, Jen Moeller, our costume designer, created a, uh, an adaptable pair of pants for me. Oh, cool. Uh, that helps me sort of get in and out of my pants more quickly, um, which is really helpful on like two show days when I just want to, you know, because I'm, I'm wearing like a big suit of armor and it's very heavy and everything. Um, so she she made that happen in like a day. Like, it, you know, it was like so fast. Um, and she also helped make my armor a bit less heavy um because it was causing me problems on the stage but other than that no um no accommodations for me i think i think that was it or maybe my shoes too to day made my shoes and uh mm. yeah that was that was really helpful mm. um, he made a, a couple of other pairs of shoes too but i also think that it is it's important to um to think about Oh my God, my Roomba's starting. It's going to be really loud. Hold on. <laughs> I'll jump in. That is hysterical. You know, there's, I feel like there's the physical um, accommodations and then there's just how we approach the work, right? Um, so I think approaching the work is 
probably for me primary and the priority is that people learn how to approach the work with a disabled artist and conversations need to happen and they need to happen with the disabled artist, not behind closed doors and not around the disabled artist. So if there's things that come up on stage, any sort of choreography or any sort of staging that needs to happen, talk to the disabled artists themselves and don't try to solve it on your own. Meaning you can take um, you can take agency, right? So that the disabled artist doesn't have to actually carry everything on their shoulders. But when you start making decisions about how they, if you start deciding what they can and can't do, without even discussing it with them, that's where some challenges are. And um, that's when things don't start feeling so great. So um, there's always a learning curve in every single space you go into. Always, always, always. Not, nobody knows every single thing that everybody needs. So um, that learning curve was present in rehearsals for Camelot, and we were able to move through it. Um, in terms of like my particular access needs, really the things that I needed was I needed a private tour of the stage so that I knew where the exits were and entrances were. Um, I knew where, you know, where's the low hanging stuff? Where are the cables going to be? What do I need to avoid? That was really the main thing that I needed. I also wanted to touch all my props. I wanted to be close with my props. I wanted to know where everything is so that it got into my body very, very quickly. And I wasn't visually searching for things. Um, that was really the main access points that I had, and they were addressed swiftly and with generosity. Is communication just like, as it with most things, just one of the primary ways to kind of make this process easier for everybody without forcing the disabled performer to be the one to start every conversation, but being open to talking about things? It sounds like that is really the step that whether it's in terms of, of casting or bringing people into conservatories or making sure that accommodations are uh, are met it, it seems like just being open and and willing to have those discussions is is paramount to making things work yeah, yeah I As, asking questions asking questions like allowing yourself not to know like to just admit to yourself and to other people that you don't necessarily know everything you would like to know about the dis disability experience and you know that you would like to have more disabled representation in your organization like it really, there are so many people who are ready to do these jobs and to help um, these theater companies be more inclusive of performers with disabilities that like all they would need to do is just reach out. Um, and, you know, and then and then again, like, listen and accept the answers you mm -hmm. know, from the disability community. And there's also I, I love this um, ask, admit what you don't know, and then also question what you think you do know. Because I think there are people walk in thinking that they actually do know. They have certain belief systems that they've already established because they saw something on television. So they think they actually do know. And I would, I would actually question those as well. Um, I am part of the disability community. I'm a disability advocate and activist. I don't know what Tony's experience is. So even though I know a lot about the disability community, um, I have to question, what do I know about amputees? What do I know about folks with limb difference? Um, so even I have to ask those questions. Everybody does. Everybody has to humble themselves and go, you know, start from the fool, start from beginner's mind. I want to talk a little bit about the show before we, we wrap up, because as I said, this is a show that 
I've loved for many, many years. And having the opportunity to see a new interpretation of this show is very exciting uh, to, to me. And I think a lot of people maybe know a handful of songs from the show, but maybe don't one know how much fun it actually is uh and then also don't really kind of know the the messages that were there originally in the show and then also in the new book from Aaron Sorkin uh, Anthony as you kind of have been through this process from the very beginning how, what Camelot knowledge did you come in with and and what has been kind of the surprises that you've learned about the show and the characters along the way uh I knew nothing Okay, great. <laughs> like I, uh, well, actually, that's not true. I knew coming into this that it was not um, a musical that was produced very often. It was considered problematic in several ways, like structurally and like thematically. Um, but I, but I didn't know any specifics about any of that stuff. So when I came in, um, you know, and heard uh, Aaron's first kind of you know stab at the at the book, I was really um, shocked sort of by especially the um the fion goodness song mm -hmm. uh which is about all of the knights of the round table desperately like uh wanting to be able to like commit atrocious acts of, of violence uh <laughs> that was really shocking to me um but also i think it's like i think it's important to like take a look at those attitudes, like in a safe way, like in art, um, because they're attitudes that are held by like lots of people in the real world right now. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it, that was really interesting to me. Like you, you just don't hear a song like Fi on goodness very often. Um, sort of shocking. And, and Marilee, what did you come in with and, and what have you kind of taken away from this entire experience? Mm, I think that, you know, I'm a bit of a sentimentalist. So um, the thing that I, and and a realist too, but the thing that I have taken away is that human nature, this is, this is Aaron says this in, in the book, Arthur says it, Guinevere says it, I say it as Morgan. Human nature responds to inspiration and it responds to fear. And so the, the realist, the hopeful person, the optimist in me and the sentimentalist wants to say, well, what are you going to choose? Because we respond to both. And so this version of Camelot, I think really begs the question to the audience, you know, the audience is asking this question to themselves, are we going to respond to inspiration or fear? Which one? Um, and that's what I've taken away from myself is because I know that I've responded to fear a lot of my life. And I want to respond to inspiration. I want to respond to spirit and breath and the thing that connects everybody and inhabits everybody. So that's most, that's, I think that's most of what I want to take away and that I am taking away. Yeah. I love that. Well, I'll, I'll wrap up with just a question uh, for both of you. When you look back on this entire multi-year process for, for you, Anthony, what is the, the one thing from, from the Camelot era of your life and career that you're going to remember most, whether it's uh, a, a inspiring message like Marilee just said, or a, a something on stage or something that happened during rehearsals or out with the cast afterwards. What is, what is that moment for you that will symbolize this entire journey? Oh, it's, it's completely the generosity and open heartedness of the entire company. Mm -hmm. um, I've never worked with the company this cool. 
um, and supportive and compassionate and considerate Mm -hmm. and also like insanely talented. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's absolutely the people for me. That's it. It's the people, it's the company. My heart has grown and is so full and um, I've, it's, I'm moved every day by the people, by the people, by the people. Well, that's wonderful. And folks have until the end of the week to check this out. And uh, like I said, one of my favorite shows and, and scores of all time. And what an unbelievable company that you all have. So thank you so much for talking about this with me and uh, have a great rest of the run. And, and hopefully we will have the opportunity to experience much more from both of you in the years to come. Thank you. Have a good uh, one. Thanks so much. 